Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. everybody and welcome to another brand new episode here from the geek buddies we're back again uh, to talk about another week of geeky goodness here in the world of geek entertainment nerd entertainment whatever you want to call it we're excited to talk about it all we're going to jump into so many subjects and topics uh and uh, but first let's introduce ourselves i'm the outlaw john roker writer producer and host here on the geek buddies I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm a television actor and an animation writer. Whereas if you go to my IMDb page right now, I get my I got my first writing credit on there through Strawberry Shortcake. Like Hi, a, nice. Hey. You're welcome. Is that you? Is that you? <laughs> no, I didn't put it on there, but I did hire you, so you're welcome. You're welcome. The, 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 <laughs> <laughs> the, the page for Strawberry Shortcake came up at the end of last year, and it had Mr. Vogel as the writer for all the episodes. I was like, well, this will get sorted out at some point. <laughs> <laughs> that is I wasn't aware of any of that, but you know what? I'll, yeah, it's good. I'll take it. It's great. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, whoever did that. Hey, there's people in the show that I didn't know they were in the show. So. <laughs> A lot of people. Uh, well, we're going to get into so many things here. We're going to talk about that Grace Randolph tweet, talking about the DCU, getting into a little bit of Morbius, offer our own tributes uh, to Betty White, the passing of Betty White here, just as we were turning into the year, into 2022. And in our main topic here, we're going to talk about um, and review the uh, Return to Hogwarts Harry Potter 20th anniversary special that is on HBO Max, about an hour and 42 minutes of some fantastic stuff for us to break down, certainly in our main topic. And the way this works, for those of you who are new, each of us brings up a geek news item. We talk about it amongst ourselves, take a quick break and jump into our main topic. And for those who have been with us, on that train ride, we appreciate it madly that you've been hanging out with Geek Buddies for this long. And, of course, we are powered and sponsored 
Bicarbon Health. Big shout out to them for staying on as a sponsor into 2022 of the Outlaw Nation and the Geek Bud as we appreciate them madly. They are a leading national health care provider with a mission to bring high quality health care to everyone. Urgent care, primary care, virtual care, 90 clinics in 14 states. They offer virtual care in 24 states. They believe everyone deserves good health. And guys, with the rise of the Omicron variant now shutting down pl- flights, people, you know, was it Tokyo Disney or say they're shutting down now as well? We've seen some changes and stuff all around the world in reacting to this variant. So, down, so here in the States, though, it's important to get yourself tested and get seen by somebody there at, uh, at uh, Carbon Health, don't you think? I do. I, I uh, listen. I think we're all going to get the Omicron virus. I uh, think what? we all. I mean, it's like one of the most infectious diseases ever at this point. Like it's highly yeah. contagious. I'm not. I'm not True. saying that like doom and gloom. If you're vaccinated and boosted, it means that you're probably going to have about five to seven days at home with a scratchy throat, and you're going to isolate. But yeah. we should all be aware. And if you are feeling sick, you should make sure that you get a test and you should get it checked out. And if you're feeling like you want to talk to somebody, Carbon Health is there for you. So, uh, hey, it's crazy. It's a crazy world. It's not quite as crazy as it was a year ago. <laughs> but if we all keep our cool heads and stay vaccinated and boosted, I think we're going to be okay. It's true. And, and uh, Go ahead. Go ahead, Jim. And just because it's highly contagious doesn't mean you have to get it. If you keep masking up, if you keep being careful, or if you want to burn the candle at both ends and roll the dice, you can do that too. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I, you know, knock on wood. And I haven't caught any of this stuff. Staying staying out of the situation. But uh, um, the car, people at Carbon Health reached out to me to ask me to mention this as we do our promotion. They, are, they have COVID testing at their local clinics and travel clearance testing are available for travelers who are going overseas. So if any of you are traveling, definitely go and reach out there to carbonhealth.com and see if they can help you out get, get to a testing center or at least get tested so that you can go overseas and handle that for you. So very much uh, appreciative of Carbon Health staying on to sponsor us here into 2022. All right, gentlemen, without further ado, let's jump into the show. Shannon, take it away. Yes, sir. So back on January 1st, right at the beginning of 2022, only a few days ago, uh, notorious Twitterer Grace Randolph fired off a series of tweets about some rumors about the future of the DC Cinematic Universe, whatever DC Extended Universe, whatever they're calling their universe now. And uh, you know what? She's made some dubious claims in the past. Yeah. Uh, some some directors have come back and, and said what she was uh, putting out there was not true. Uh, James Gunn being one of them, Kathy Ann from Birds of Prey being another. But this tweet, because we do, even though uh, the DC movies... We might not love all of them. We still are invested in this universe because we all grew up on these characters. So (laughs) two of the three of us are invested in this universe. (laughs) (laughs) So the tweet reads, The Flash will be Batflex, final appearance, old old footage of Cavill used on TV, new Justice League formed, Supergirl is new Superman, Keaton working with Black Canary picks Batgirl as new Batman. This is the new DC Let's be open-minded and give it a fair shot. So, gentlemen, one who's invested in the future of the DC films, one not as much. <laughs> what do we think about the idea of this new Justice League being formed? Um, I'm. I tell you this. I'm. I'm excited, but then I'm also really cautiously optimistic about this because it's a hell of a turn that they're taking. I appreciate the boldness and the gutsiness and the diversity with which they're approaching this idea of a new justice league. And they're essentially shutting the door on the Snyderverse. And look, 
I know there are people who want to restore the Snyderverse. Hell, I would love it if it was possible, but you also got to deal with the reality of the situation. You saw from the behavior that they had after they released his version of Justice League that there was no way they were going to go back and do and restore the Snyderverse. They're going to take certain elements of it, but they are shutting the door on Cavill, shutting the door on Ben Affleck as, as Batfleck, in essence, and moving forward with this more diverse, younger approach to a Justice League. So it's not necessarily the way that I anticipated them doing it. I don't know if anybody saw them anticipating them doing it this way, but if it works out, it could be a hell of a master stroke and one of the most bold things ever done in the superhero comic book world in terms of movies. And uh, I think they'll deserve all kinds of praise if they can pull this thing off. But I don't know if they can. Mike, what do you think? Um, well, I think people could have anticipated some of it, since I think we brought some of this up last week as we were talking about uh, uh, our DC news. I think we did say that it seemed like Michael Keaton was going to be the new Batman, and this new Supergirl was going to be the new uh, Kryptonian. And I think right. that it makes sense. I, I, I Obviously, as Shannon said, like some dubious tweets in the past here, but... Aside from the detail of uh, Keaton and Black Canary choosing Batgirl, which was kind of new information, everything else there sounds pretty straightforward and kind of like what we were saying, what we were assuming was going to happen. And I think that it's smart. I don't know that they're necessarily shutting the book on Henry Cavill. Uh, okay. if, he is, if he is, as she says in the tweet, uh, using old footage of him on the news, then it means yeah. that... Uh, Kal-El is still in the universe in some way, shape, or form. Good point. Maybe yeah. he's maybe he's off doing things off planet for a while, and that's why we need a new Kryptonian. They've, they're doing a similar thing with Jonathan Kent in the comics right now. So I think that they're not shutting the door on what's happened in the past. I think what they're trying to do here is say everything that we've done so far really did happen. We're not rebooting. Mm. Um, as we said last week, we're going to use this Flashpoint event to sort of reset the stage on some things. Yeah. Um, and I think honestly, as Shannon said, I'm the least invested in the DCEU. I very much love the DC universe, not the biggest fan on the whole of the DCEU, but, uh, this new Supergirl, Keaton coming in as the new Batman, kind of closing the door on Batfleck, Henry Cavill, big question mark. And this idea that Keaton along with Black Canary, hopefully the current Black Canary that we have from the Harley, from the Birds of Prey movie, um, kind of choose this new Batgirl or work with this new Batgirl in her movie. That all sounds good. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, stories can go one way or the other. You know, a good idea can end up horrible. A bad idea can be executed perfectly. So you never know. Mm -hmm. But based on everything in these tweets, I'm like, if they do all this and they do it right, I think this could be great. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be interesting because this is sort of uh, on the outside. This, this is like Patchwork Justice League. It's like we didn't nail the first team so now it's like okay who do we have that we can use mm -hmm. um you know everything will become a lot clearer after the flash comes out like whether it is this, this big resetting event mm -hmm. that we're all anticipating and hoping or is it going to be another dc film that doesn't quite deliver and possibly could make an even bigger mess out of things that are not exactly set right now mm -hmm. i did think it was curious that there was no mention of uh gal gadot or jason momoa i think the presumption is that they will be involved uh in in some capacity like that would be my presumption also no mention of uh uh zola Maraduena's, uh blue beetle uh which we found out is not going to be an hbo max movie anymore it's they're mm -hmm. they're going to put it out on the big screen i mean look i know that um 
Cla- uh, classic comic book fans, adult comic book fans, comic book fans who are our age. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you say Justice League, there's a very specific idea. Maybe it's what you read in the comics. Maybe it's from the Justice League animated series. But there is like a lineup of this is who the Justice League should be. Uh, and look, I think we got sort of that with uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yeah. That is clearly not where we're going. But honestly, if they do a really great job telling this story... And you have in the history of the DCEU that the Justice League came together and stopped uh, stopped Darkseid in the way that they did. And that there's this new team that's formed, probably with Wonder Woman as the lead, as one of the most senior, most powerful members. Mm-hmm. But with Keaton coming in from another universe, being a Batman who has been around the block a few times, with a really super-powered uh, younger Kryptonian who maybe is a bit more impetuous. Like, wherever they go with it, mm-hmm. throw in Blue Beetle in there. Like, if they do it right... A movie with a Justice League that's a Supergirl, Keaton Batman, uh, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Blue Beetle, uh, whoever else you throw in there, I'd be super down for that. Like, I think that does sound interesting. It definitely sounds like a more diverse Justice League. Yes. Uh, And throw in a couple other really great characters in there, and I think you would have a win. Yeah, and I think the people complaining, uh, you know, the uh, I don't know, complaining about oh, you're you're changing the ethnicity, you're changing the color of my of my superhero characters. Nobody gives a fuck. I hate to break it to you, nobody in the executive land gives a fuck. They can't. They want. They see the writing on the wall, and the diversity is what's winning the day. And you can, you know, go on your boards and go crazy with the go woke, go broke crap, but it doesn't matter because they're going to go forward with this. And people are going to go watch their movies if they're good. That's all that fucking matters is if the movies are good. And if they go this route and they take a bold stroke like this and make a more diverse Justice League and make it work and deliver good movies, then those people crying about the fact that these people aren't the same ethnicity that they remember for their characters or their heroes growing up are going to be way out in the distance, lost in the wind with their voices. And it's not going to matter. Now, if they fumble the ball, they mess up. Then more people, might, they might grow louder. There might be more people that kind of glom onto that and use that uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, criticism to uh, under uh, to uh, uh, form the basis of their own criticism of the fact that it isn't working. So it's a hell of a bold move, I have to say. And, you know, Grace followed up by saying about um, Henry Cavill and about Ben Affleck. She said, Ben Affleck doesn't want to come back. This was three days later after the initial tweet that uh, uh, Shannon just read, said Henry Cavill ain't getting invited back for reasons I've already told you countless times that are as much on him as WB. That's curious. And you guys are hoping for something that is an impossibility. You've got to move on. There's no way that's going to happen. And she said, the final thing I'm going to say is there are some whose entire identity is wrapped up in the Snyderverse hype, so they'll never let it go, never stop giving you hope, but for very wrong reasons. You don't have to like or support the new DCEU, but you should realize what's happening. So just kind of trying to get people to see that this is going to go forward. And even Ezra chimed in and said, the Snyderverse is not dead necessarily, but that's not where we're going. So it's a, what happened, as Michael said, is still a part of the equation. It's not the main focus of the equation anymore. And look, they had to break away from this stuff. They want to walk their own path. And if we're fa- if we're really fans, we have to create some space to let them walk their own path and see what the results are. Well, and the other thing to keep in mind, I mean, The other thing to keep in mind with all of this is Mm. that we're in a whole new era of superhero-ness right now. Like with with Flashpoint coming out and with Spider-Man No Way Home just coming out with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness on the horizon, uh, we've not reached the point where nothing is impossible. Right. We we might very likely get a 
Spider-Man 3 with Andrew Garfield. Like, nothing is oh, impossible yeah. anymore um, because with a multiverse, you can literally do anything. Right. So this new Justice League comes along. Let's just say it works. Let's be optimistic and cross our fingers for the DCEU. I'm rooting for you guys. I am rooting for you. Let's do this. Um, and let's say they nail it and we all love this new Justice League. Yeah. There is no reason... And let's say something that I don't want to happen, but I'll give it to you anyways. There is no reason that Batfleck from the dark future at the end of Zack Snyder's Justice League and Deathstroke can't show up in a Days of Future Past way down the line and say, we came back from a bad future because we have to prevent this from happening. You have to stop the Joker from doing this or Lex, you know, like you can literally do it. This happens in comic books all the time. So... This whole idea that one thing is dead and we're replacing this, like, anybody can show up. We just had Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland swinging around the Statue of Liberty. Anything is possible if they get it right and nail the storytelling. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Really? After a billion dollars, I feel like. (laughs) You know. (laughs) Shannon, any final words on this? Well, I mean, uh, to, to what Mike was saying, I mean, past performers can come back. And yeah. I think the, the main thing that I think we want as fans is we want the big DC movie machine to get going, to consistently kind of, uh, you know, churn out good movies. Mm-hmm. Because what Marvel is doing, DC can do. I mean, DC has a rich tapestry of characters that they have not tapped into yet. And I think probably there there's a reticence to tap into some of those characters until they get their big ones right and they can move forward. So hopefully they do move forward and we do get to see some of those uh, deeper cut characters. Like I, I still want to see Andy Samberg play Plastic Man. I mean, I, oh. I think that would be so freaking funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully that, hopefully Grace Randolph is right and this is this is what's going to be happening. Yeah, and, and as Michael said, I think this is a really excellent point to under under to highlight rather is um it doesn't mean that the elements of the Snyderverse can't come back into this. So in some ways, if you're a restore the Snyderverse person, you should be cheering in a way for this to happen and for this to work because then it opens the door for the possibility down the road of Snyderverse characters like Batfleck to come back and have their own adventures or Cavill in some way come back or you know, something like that. It could happen. So, or Darkseid, you can open the door to that. So all kinds of things are are possible if it works, just as Michael mentioned, the Spider-Man 3 stuff, possibly how Amazing Spider-Man 3 possibly happening because people's reactions to Andrew Garfield in the, the show. So, and, and I was, I mean, people saying, oh, if you wanted a third one, you should have seen the second one. No, it's a bad movie. We don't have to patronize a bad movie so that you can make a third one. That's not how it fucking works, all right? Anyway, all right, let's move on to our next uh, subject here. Uh, and that's Morbius here. It's staying in the uh, superhero world. The Spider-Man with spinoff Morbius this is from Variety. It has, been, uh, de- it has been delayed by another three months. This isn't the first time, the second time, or the third time this film has been delayed. It's insane. It was supposed to debut on July 10th of 2020. Then it was supposed to come out on July 31st of 2020, then March 19th of 2021, then October 8th of 2021, and moved to to January 21, 2022. But now it has moved to April Fool's Day, April 1st, 2022, which is weird. And it's going to be going against Easter Sunday, which is a comedy with Jimmy O. Yang and the Chris Pine thriller, The Contractor. Uh, So interesting decision to move this. Mike and Shannon, what do you think? I mean, the success of Spider-Man No Way Home, which is a Sony and Marvel production together, 
wouldn't this have been and, and how well venom let there be carnage did, did regardless of how we felt about the movie does this seem odd that they would move it do you think it's because they want to give more time for spider-man no way home to breathe and enjoy the box office success why do you guys think it got moved i mean i've heard that theory that they're like oh let's give spider-man no way home a few more weeks i i, I don't think morbius coming out would have affected that box mm. office i think the people, like, as you guys have mentioned, a lot of people have seen Spider-Man No Way Home, and a lot of people are seeing it again just because it's a really great movie. Shannon uh, McClellan being one of them. What are you, at sixth now? Seventh? No, it's not that many. It's, oh, okay. it's, right. it's, 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 it's maybe four. Uh, something like that. I've <laughs> okay. lost count. <laughs> the amount of times I've seen it is, anyways. Um, but I, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, is... Is there anything that has happened? Like Sony has seen how well Spider-Man No Way Home is doing. Is there is there something to that three months? They want to try to fine-tune this movie even more. Oh, maybe. Or is there something that they want to add? Like, hey, some of the response to Spider-Man No Way Home means we can use some of the things that were on the table there in this movie. Like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't feel like this decision was made overnight. Like, this was something that they'd been considering. But, uh yeah, I mean, and the other folks that have said that it has to do with Omicron, I don't necessarily believe that. Um, I, I feel like they want to kind to shore up their their cinematic universe in the wake of the success of Spider-Man No Way Home. That's my guess. Yeah, Mike, what do you think about this? Do you think that's uh, the element, that's the reasons here? Or do you think maybe they know they don't have a great movie in Morbius and they want to wait and enjoy the Spider-Man No Way Home <laughs> glow for three more months? What do you think? I can't imagine. I mean, look, the movie is the movie at this point. It's been around, like, like you said, like, it's like, I don't, the only, like, I can't imagine that they would all of a sudden push it back three months because they were going to reshoot things to try and make it a little bit better. I, we'll find out if I'm right about this when the movie comes out or not, but I would imagine that the only reason to push it back, and uh, not the only, there's several reasons it could be, but the reason that pops to mind the most to me is that people flipped out about Andrew Garfield. And in a way that I don't think anybody was, including us, who were going yeah. to see the movie and, and knew they were and knew that they were most likely in it. I don't think anybody was prepared for how Andrew Garfield runs away with parts of that movie. And I think that I don't know what they are planning with their universe. Mm -hmm. I don't know where Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire's universe fit in with the Carnage Morbius universe. Like I don't uh, like I don't I don't quite know what it all is. We know from seeing that trailer that there is some kind of Spider-Man because we see a poster with a murderer on it. You know, so yeah. we, there's there there there's been a lot of questions from the very beginning of that trailer about, well, where does this exist in the big scheme of things? If I were Sony, and I saw how everyone reacted to Spider-Man No Way Home, I would be like. Let's do a post-credit scene with Andrew Garfield. Let's incorporate Ooh, that yeah. in some way. Let's somehow tie this success into this. We need to push this three months so that we can get this post-credit scene in, or we can get this two-minute scene that makes it clear. Like that would be what I would do if I was Sony. I would be like, let's get in front of this now and make that a part of this, where mm. maybe it wasn't as much before, or maybe it was lightly implied but we weren't sure and they were hedging their bets and now they're like let's go full that would be my gut instinct i have no insider knowledge that that is true <laughs> i could be i could be 1000 percent wrong and it's just a shit movie and they're like let's just push it down the way a little bit but <laughs> but i mean to me that seems like if i were an executive and i saw the response to no way home that's one of those like i know this is gonna suck if we push it again but 
that would be worth the push. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. And you know, it doesn't mean that it won't make money. It doesn't mean that it won't. I mean, carnage was pushed or venom was pushed a number of uh, times as well. This, this is a weird world. Pushed now. It off a cliff. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, it's a weird world with all the changes and the variants. Take that carnage. <laughs> I'll show you some carnage. Oh. Um, so we'll see, but um, I'm anticipating, I've liked every trailer that's come out. So I hope it's not a bad movie. And uh, Michael, you got my mind racing a little bit. If they're shooting some kind of post credit scene with Andrew Garfield, making this thing a reality. And just because Tom Holland might be signing a new deal with uh, Sony slash Marvel, it doesn't mean that they can't bring back their own Spider-Man. A lot of people were hoping for Miles Morales, and certainly there was an allusion to it in Spider-Man No Way Home. But you've got two ready-made Spider-Man right now that could slide in in Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire to mess around with to, that could just ease as easily slide on in there and become the main Spider-Man in a new uh, approach to his uh, uh, version of Spider-Man that could work with these characters. So you never know. Yeah, no. and I'll yeah. be really clear. Like, I don't want Sony touching Miles Morales without Marvel. Like, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want, I don't want them to try and do. Now, granted, I know that like, I I'm not say Sony, <laughs> Sony animation, completely separate. Sony animation right. can keep doing everything that they are doing and more. And I'm 1 billion percent in support of that. But Sony live action, I do not want them touching Miles Morales without Marvel. I want... I want Tom Holland to do whatever he's going to do as Peter Parker, and I want them to bring in Miles Morales into the mainline MCU. But over in Carnage, Spider-Man, secondary, tertiary character land that Sony's mm -hmm. building out, if they want to have Andrew Garfield running around there, getting his second chance to do his thing, I am all in support of that and would be more than happy to see that happen. Okay. Let me go, let me go back to you then, because Phil Lord and Chris Miller are going to be doing the sequel or are doing the sequel to mm -hmm. into the spider-verse and what was it phil lord or christopher miller one of the other ones was in was the only one that was working of the duo on the original spider-verse mm -hmm. so if and they've done live action stuff if they yeah. move into a live action situation would you trust them yes with sony to yes. do miles morales yes okay so I, like lord and miller lord yeah. and miller to date yeah uh I don't think everything they've done is perfect, but yeah. everything they've done is very thought out, yeah. very good storytelling, very strong character work. Like everything they do, they know how to tell the type of story that they want to tell, and they've and they've shown that they could do it again and again. So if they were to move over yeah. to Sony's, uh, you know, the, the 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 Spider Spider Band Club movies that they're making, uh, and say, okay, we're gonna fix all this, I would be like exponentially more excited than i currently am about that whole situation all right fair enough uh all right oh mikey you got our next thing and, and we'll see morbius april 1st we'll see if it keeps to its date or not or not, or not. <laughs> what if they're like april fools it's coming out in three more months um <laughs> april uh, fools it came out it actually came out two months ago, <laughs> two months ago. where were you <laughs> Oh, Lord. Uh, well, in another piece of news that we felt like Johnny said earlier, we wanted to bring up, uh, we lost one of the greats. Uh, mm. I, I was Not before her time. I mean, it was probably, <laughs> I think she'd say the same thing. But, uh, you know, Betty White was scheduled to turn 100 this year. People Magazine had the Betty White Turns 100 issue of their magazine on shelves. 
Um, and uh, pulling one more fast one on everybody. She left us a little earlier than intended. And uh, at the very, very end of 2021, we lost Betty White, uh, which is a tragedy because she is one of the greats, uh, has been one of the greats her entire life. But um, she led one hell of a life. Mm. Uh, to get to 99 years old, and have People Magazine putting you on the cover about your age and still having everyone love you as much as we all love Betty White yeah. is really quite an accomplishment. Um, like she she just never stopped. I mean, from, from a very, very young age, uh, all the way to 99, she has been working, she has been in our collective consciousness, she has been funny, and now uh, she and Rue and B and Estelle are all having some cheesecake and she's telling St. Olaf stories <laughs> up in heaven. So uh, it is very sad. It was sad that she didn't make it to 100. It was sad that we don't get to enjoy Betty White any longer. But uh, as I said on Twitter, the fact that all four of them are together in heaven gives me some gay level of comfort for some reason. And uh, <laughs> and yeah, she's Betty White. I don't know what else you say about it. Gentlemen, what do you, what do you think? What do you think about the late and great Betty? Uh, go ahead, Shin. Uh, you know, watching the Golden Girls with my parents in the 80s, I mean, Betty White is one of those comedians who, who uh, probably subconsciously was teaching young performers the, the uh, ability to get a laugh by holding in an awkward moment. Like the amount of times that Rose would throw something out from St. Olaf and just delivered it so earnestly and so genuine. I mean... A lot of times with comedy, you want you really want to push the joke. You really want to you you want to be forceful with it, and she never had to do that. Like mm -hmm. the 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 uh, comedic power of the innocence behind her eyes and just sitting in these moments um, was always something that really kind of struck me as a kid. And then not knowing that you know not knowing that she had this other gear, like when Lake Placid came out <laughs> and she had some of the greatest lines in that movie. I mean, hearing her drop the F-bomb, I mean, that was so like, oh my God, Rose just said fuck. <laughs> um, and just watching how she got to have this uh, resurgence in her career on, I know there are many compilations out there right now, but uh, they had one from, hot in Cleveland where she, it was, it was a blooper reel and it was all her and watching her go and watching all of the kind of younger performers around her, younger in comparison to her, uh, the younger, uh, younger performers with her uh, cracking up at, at what she was able to do repeatedly. It was always just something incredible to see. And the fact that she made it to December 31st on yeah. in 2021. Yeah. I mean, she, she led a remarkable career. So yeah, and you know, the thing you sometimes can uh, be guilty of is that you just see the performer on the screen and you're like, uh, I know that person. I, I'm, I'm a champion of that person. I, you know, I discovered her in Golden Girls or uh, back in, in the other 70s sitcoms that she was a part of. But the thing is doing some more, uh, reading some of the tributes for her and I, I didn't know this stuff in her past. I didn't know that she had advocated for women directors back in the 1950s on her own show, The Betty White Show. This was not done. And then she cast an African-American man, a tap dancer, Arthur Duncan, as a series regular, again in the 50s. Southern stations were re refusing to air the show. They were, they were threatening to not air the show if she cast this man in the character, and she did it anyway. And in fact, even after their opposition, she featured him even more highly in the show as a way of being like, 
FU. And of course, the Golden Girls dealing with LGBTQ issues right front foremost there in the 80s. I mean, I went back and we watched a few of those episodes the other night with uh, with the Lady Outlaw, and it was she loves that show. It's her it's her ringtone. So to, to sit there watching some of those shows and seeing how overtly they speak about and how like casually they speak about this stuff, it was so great to see. And you forget because we've become so hyper scared of everything nowadays. You forget how we used to just be able to confront this stuff. Yes, understand that pro- progress being progressive is the right move here. She was one of those people that was able to do it, and she did it, overcoming failures. The Betty White Show didn't end up doing so well. She packed it in, repackaged herself, went back in. She didn't quit. She was a fighter. It was, she wasn't just a funny woman and a cute woman and whatever. She was a fighter, and she believed in herself, and she took the hits, and she kept going. And I think there's a thing out there, too, about her husband, not her first husband, not believing in her dreams, not believing in what she wanted to accomplish ditched that guy and went forward doing what she wanted to do. She didn't have kids. So she, she had ideas of what she wanted to do and she did it her way uh, up until 99 years old, ladies and gentlemen, and especially in an industry that does not necessarily favor women who get older. She was able to persevere and endure. And for that, she deserves all our love and all our tributes and for making us laugh for decades, man, for decades. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that what you say is, important because i think that look there's a lot of people uh celebrities comedians entertainers who are very funny and we appreciate how funny they are and they make us laugh um but they're not beloved yeah uh and and that's fine not everybody has to be beloved but you know oftentimes it's because maybe what we don't see behind the scenes you know maybe it's their their co-workers or people they've worked with they're like yeah they're funny but they're not like the greatest person in the world and from what all the tributes are and from what everybody says about Betty White, she actually was that yeah. good. Uh, to John's point, the, the stuff that she did behind the scenes, uh, you know, just in fighting for rights, uh, huge animal activist. Right. Uh, yes. And just an all around great person. And everybody who worked with her loved working with her. And she was one of those people that just led a life of joy. She always did what she wanted to do. To John's point, she didn't let... Uh, um, failure or disappointment stop her she kept doing what she loved she kept being hilarious she kept making people laugh Mm. uh she's super funny like that clip that was going around um about the saint olaf herring circus where you can see (laughs) b arthur and rue mcclanahan absolutely cracking up because all three of them who are amazing amazing comedians they're all trying to one-up each other and betty white is just dead straight faced and like they can't even handle it she was just boom boom she was always that funny there's an old clip of uh when Joan Rivers was hosting when Joan Rivers was uh was doing a talk show and Betty White goes on and the two of them just giving each other shade left and right like she was always that funny she was always that good and so yeah the world is a little bit less funnier now in 2022 um without Betty White in it but uh you know what she gave us a good run and I think now it's up to us to carry that on and so as I saw in a meme that I quite enjoyed in a world of Karens be a Betty That's actually damn good. I love that. Um, well, the late, great Betty White leaving us at 99 years old, but of course, leaving a legacy and some lessons for every generation to I tell you, uh, I hope and learn. Yeah, I hope that I make it to 99 kicking like that and, and just go peacefully in my sleep in Brentwood like that. That really is like she was she lived up to the very last moment, went to bed and said, ah, I'm out. Yeah, let's yeah. go. Stairway to heaven. Let's do it. Respect. I'm good at 70. I'm good at 70. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump into our break here. And then we're going to 
go into our main topic here and do our review and a spoiler review, uh, spoiler review of uh, the return to Hogwarts 20th anniversary special of Harry Potter that was on HBO Max. We'll be right back after this. Man, that was a gimme. I know, right? I, I, I mean, there were other deeper. there were other themes that we could have grabbed. I would have gotten <laughs> there, but the break was short. Yeah, <laughs> well, let's talk about this. This came out just a couple of days ago, or just a few days ago, rather, as we uh, crossed over to 2022. This fantastic hour and 42 minute special that HBO Max did, and spared no expense in bringing a majority of the cast members back here to talk about their experiences, setting these uh, interviews on all these old school Harry Potter sets, building all the things they built, shooting sequences on the platform of nine and three quarters, all through Diagon Alley into Ollivander's, they, we had uh, Daniel Radcliffe, we had uh, Rupert Grint, we had uh, uh, Emma Watson come back, but we also had Robbie Coltrane and Gary Oldman, Helena Bonham Carter, uh, we had the Chris Columbus, we had Alfonso Cuaron, we had David Yates, uh, we had so many people come back to be a part of this thing, Jason Isaacs, Tom Felton, so many, Ginny Wiz, uh, I forget her name, the, Jenny, the actress who plays Ginny, Bonnie Wright, I think is her name, uh, all of them, Luna Lovegood, the actress who plays Luna Lovegood, all of them coming back to talk about their experiences now 20 years later. And I have to say right off the bat, to me, this was a wonderful thing to experience. Having worked in that uh, Wizarding World of Harry Potter land, you really get an idea of how important this franchise is to so many people. And by osmosis, I took that on playing that character, the Wand Keeper. So watching this special just made me relive those feelings and those emotions all over again, plus enjoying the back half of the movies as much as I did. So, gentlemen, what did you all think about this special? What did you feel about it as you were watching it? What stood out to you? I mean, I, lo- I love an HBO Max reunion special. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, following on the, on the, on the, on the heels of, uh, on the heels of Friends. Uh, I, I, this one was so much more impactful just because you know, uh, most of the cast were kids and mm. watching how they have grown up and how they've changed over, over the last 20 years. Um, you know, the movies themselves, like I love the books, the movies themselves, I never thought they fully encapsulated the magic uh, of those books, except for three. And this is a very unpopular opinion, but parts of four, like I thought Goblet of Fire, I know it's very unpopular. I think Goblet of Fire, there's some of the best, Potter moments in that story. Oh, but then Shannon, going, I, <laughs> Shannon, it is, my, it is, it is, it is, the Phoenix, a, man. Come on. it is right. Goblet of Fire for Dummies. I mean, it is a Cliff Notes <laughs> movie, but I think the notes that they hit are great. I mean, <laughs> I, I know I'm, I'm used to it. <laughs> when I say I like Goblet of Fire, there's the uh, look. Um, but also revisiting the, you know, some of the older performance. I had no idea, like, Robbie Coltrane, he appears to be in, in a wheelchair now. Yeah. And, but but hearing these stories, he, hearing, especially when they talk about performers that have passed, like, like Alan Rickman, like, mm. uh, yeah, I mean, it was just... For having not been the biggest fan of the movies, that special was incredibly well done and just really beautiful to see. I mean, my uh, my fiance, who also is not really into the movies, I mean, she was in tears by the end. I mean, mm-hmm. she like this is so well done, 
and it's it, it it tempted me to go on to HBO Max and be like, all right, let's let's revisit some of these. Like, let's skip around and 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 visit the best parts of this universe. Mikey, I'm still recovering from this reveal about Shannon loving Goblet of Fire, so I'm trying to just, like <laughs> settle myself here, but. Um, I, I agree that it was great. It was super well done. Um, look, as someone who truly, truly loves the books mm-hmm. and disagreeing with Shannon a little bit, like the movies are not, I mean, not as often as the case, like the books are so rich and there's so much that happens and a movie uh, at two and a half, almost three hours, even then can't always capture everything that's in the books. But I think the thing that I took away from this whole thing is aside from a handful of recasting, the fact that these kids, this cast, went from one movie all the way to the eighth movie and told this complete story of one of the most beloved modern pieces of fiction that we have and turned it into something that is almost equally as beloved by everybody except Shannon. So <laughs> I think that in in that respect, just the achievement of that was great. And in, And as you guys said, it really did make me relive my love of this world which was really valuable to me because so much of what the creator of this world has done in recent memory has really made me not love the world as much and i do think one of the things that i was texting with some friends about that was very um clear is that uh in the one hour and 40 odd minute special i think joe rowling is in it about two minutes maybe And it is clearly marked as previously recorded footage that is not that was not recorded for this special. So I think that they also probably wisely went out of their way to make this about the process of adapting these books into movies. Uh, And she's mentioned a handful of times, but this is really about this creative process and this journey that Columbus and Quaron and Newell and Yates took everybody on. Um, and it did really, honestly, allow me to enjoy the things that I loved about Harry Potter without being distracted by the one ginormous thing that I really have a problem with. Yeah, it was weird, Mike. I, I, I understand that. And I, and I was able to separate that, I guess, because I they took me back to that time, right? And at that time, I don't know that Joe Rowling. This is the Joe Rowling at that time is the Joe Rowling I am willing to kind of like create space for this, you know, single mom who is struggling, broke, wrote this on a train, back more. So like to remember the beginnings, I thought it was nice to kind of go back to that and kind of not think about what her points of views are now about uh, uh, the trans rights and trans lives and all of that, which is really upsetting and disturbing. It was nice to kind of put that away for a little bit and just focus on why we fell in love with this franchise. And you hit on something really, really um, important here, Mike. You know, people talk about the MCU and Kevin Feige and blah, blah, blah. People talk about their favorite franchise, best franchises ever. Harry Potter, eight, eight films, what they were able to do here. And yes, you can argue varying degrees of good or whatever, but like, it's incredible to have seen what they've done on this entire journey. I don't know if there's ever going to be a franchise that's going to do eight movies that fans consistently run to and watch and give a lot of money to and watch over and over again or as beloved as it is and seeing i really loved 
you know, kind of pulling the curtain back. And it wasn't like just a, you know, gloss over approach. You got to hear about um, Emma Watson and Rupert Grant and how they struggled with the fame. You got to hear about Daniel Radcliffe's approach to working with Gary Oldman. You got to hear about Chris Columbus's approach. You know what? I came away with a completely different point of view about Chris Columbus now and his approach to these movies. And I really appreciated that through those interviews, through those conversations, hearing what their experiences were like. And I'm talking about Emma and Daniel and Rupert through the process. It's great to have a little bit more of them talking about it now 20 years later, not while they're going through it, but 20 years later now talking about it and having some fun little nuggets. I mean, having Daniel read what he wrote to Helena Bottom Carter, essentially shooting his shot. I mean, I, you got to respect that. You know, you know, all of that stuff through it was great. And But Gary Oldman, that son of a bitch, man, he broke me in half. Just having him talk so eloquently and so warmly towards Daniel Radcliffe and talk about their experiences creating, you could tell that, and, and hearing from Alfonso and how Gary took all this time to really make this connection with Daniel off camera as well as on camera so that that really came out. And you can tell in their back and forth, and especially when they, um, when Gary finds out that Alan Rickman got insider information from Joe Rowling, that moment is so precious because you're like, of course, Alan did that son of a bitch, you know, and that's the way you talk about someone, even when he's passed, you give him his respect, but you also bust his balls. And I love that that was an element throughout this entire um, specialist that didn't shy away from talking about this stuff and let you see a little more behind the curtain, so to speak, of the creation and the experiences that everybody had within it, you know? Yeah, I mean, the cynical part of me, and this is just because it's always the case, is that, uh, you know, like, they do such a good job. Uh, and, and, and it all is very genuine. I'm not going to say mm. anything super mm. bad. Like, I actually really did enjoy it. But as I was watching it, you know, you have these great moments of, like, you know, the three of them, like, Emma and Rupert and Daniel, like, sitting in the Gryffindor common room and just yeah. shooting the shit about their memories. And because I've been... Uh, on sets where you're doing, like, behind-the-scenes stuff, whatever, you know that there's, like, just out of sight is, like not just the director of this piece, but like 30 publicists and PR people and somebody being like, all right, we need to do the bit about people who have passed on, so why don't you talk about heart? So like, there is an, a level of this is being produced, so it's not like right. they just like sat everybody in a room and said, yeah, why don't you talk about it, what it was like. So everything that they're hitting is, we wanna talk about this stuff. Right. But I think even within that, um, the sincerity that you get out of them yeah. about the things that they talked about and the emotion um, and the excitement. And I think like, you know, what, what's hard to remember about that time is that when they were cast, they were at the age that they were just as excited about Harry Potter as all of us were. Like yeah. this, like when Chris Columbus talks about all these kids getting cast and running around on set at Hogwarts and how it was like hard to keep their attention because they were just so stoked to be in Harry Potter, uh, you know, and, or, and like, uh, you know, Jason Isaac says this, uh, Ray Fine says it. Each of them is like, yeah, I told somebody that, uh, I told my sister that I was uh, up for Voldemort and she was like, what? Like, just <laughs> the, that these were the biggest, like there's a reason that you got some of the greatest actors of our time to be in these movies. Um, and then just to have Emma and Rupert and Daniel kind of talk about their, what it was like being a kid actor, but mm -hmm. then what it was like being that middle-aged actor where you wanted to be better and then growing into actual actors. Like all of those bits I thought were were really, really well done. And uh, it just, it did. It just made me, it made me kind of fall back in love with the, to your point, John, the Harry Potter that I grew up loving. Mm. Yeah. And you see how many people, how many people were involved yeah. in creating this, you know, eight film, eight film journey. 
Um, I thought it was the craziest thing when Jason Isaacs uh, uh, revealed that he had read for Gilderoy Lockhart. I was like, <laughs> what? I could see that. Jason's played those comedic beats. But I mean, I think Isaacs is they one, cast one of the best, one of the best performers out there. It, it always surprises me that he's not found the vehicle to take him to superstar level because J- I think he's just such a such a brilliant performer. Yeah. But the idea that he was up for Gildor Gildor Lockhart and in the midst of the audition, like, hey, read this instead. Like, we know you play the heavy in almost everything. <laughs> read this one too, and then finding out that. Uh, the, the crush that Emma Watson had on Tom Felton. Yeah. Right. Um, when the Wizarding World first opened Islands of Adventure, so this is many years ago now, um, a, a friend of mine did a lot of the promotional events and she got to spend some time with Tom Felton and she just sang that guy's praises. She's mm. like, you want to talk about just such a down to earth, really nice, really genuinely enthusiastic guy. She's like, you know, he made this whole sort of press tour. Um, so so much more bearable because it was so chaotic and was so stressful. I mean, the expectations were so high. It's like and he was just such a breath of fresh air. That's awesome. And I mean, and as Johnny mentioned, like I already knew this fact, but every time anybody talks about it, I think is great. Is the fact that for years. Alan Rickman was the only other person in the world that knew what was going on with Snape. Like, this is a fact that always, always, always gives me so much joy that as everyone was going through these movies and as we were still experiencing the books, like, you know, be, as because like they, there was that overlap where like, you know, in five, six and seven, the books were coming out and we already had the movies and the soundtracks and everything else that we're all like, you know, why is Snape the way he is? Is Snape good? Is he bad? Is he right. a Death Eater? Is he this? And that he knew about Lily Potter. He knew about his Patronus. He knew why he hated Harry so much, but why he was still, like, he knew all of these things and the directors didn't know. And like, they'd be like, do this. And he'd be like, no, I can't tell you why, but I'm not doing that. Like, <laughs> that fact makes me love Alan Rickman so much and just love Snape so much. It just makes me love it because that was like one of the great reveals. Like that whole yeah. backstory of Snape is one of the greatest things. I will say also really quickly that watching this, particularly when Alfonso Cuaron is talking about shooting the scene in the shrieking mm. shack yeah. with David Thewlis Ooh. and Gary Oldman and Alan Rickman and the kids and everybody in it. Um, I actually went back and rewatched that scene of Azkaban because it's one of my favorite scenes in all eight movies. Um, HBO Max, please just do a fucking Marauders show. I don't care about the Fantastic Beasts. I don't care about what happens with that. I think you're not going to tell me the Dumbledore Grindelwald story I really want. But please give me a story about Peter Pettigrew, Sirius Black, uh, uh, James Potter. um, Lupin. Lupin, thank you. Snape and Lily at Hogwarts. Like, I want it. I need it. <laughs> Everybody will watch it. Please, please just make this fucking show. Yeah, and, and seeing the clips from the movies I thought were was, was so great. And it made me want to buy them all in 4K because, I mean, clearly they've cleaned those things up. Not that they needed that much cleaning up, but seeing that scene that you mentioning, Michael, that looked gorgeous in, in the special and made me want to watch that scene all over watch the whole movie all over again because it's been a bit since i watched it i may be revisiting them for the channel having some fun maybe we'll do some something if we feel like it and and messing around with it but like it's great to kind of walk back in but then also seeing the clips of them shooting stuff the the test screenings the uh, stuff behind the scenes being on set and the interactions with them all on set i thought that was nice to watch all of that so you get an idea of how 
um, of what a massive production this actually was. And Chris Columbus saying how like the first one I was scared out of my mind. And then after it did so well, then I felt like I was on easy street and I do kind of, it's interesting when they gloss over how he didn't come back for the third one. I think it was very clear. Like they wanted to move into a new direction. Quaron was the decision. The kids are getting older. We need something darker. And they didn't want to. So I don't know if was it Columbus's decision to leave. Is that the narrative or was it that they felt that they wanted to go in a direction? And so they I mean, moved him off. Like, what's the story here? I didn't know that. I don't know for sure. But I mean, look, I don't think that anybody was unhappy with the box office. Of, right. True. Uh, Fair point. Sorcerer of, uh, of um, Chamber of Secrets. Sorcerer, Sorcerer Stone or Chamber of Secrets. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know that they would be like, oh, we clearly need to go in a different direction. Like they clearly had a good thing going. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like it was more Columbus's choice, but I could be 100 percent wrong. Okay. I love Quaron coming in. I would have yeah. loved him to stay. I think Mike Newell doing one movie is definitely Warner Brothers choice. Uh, <laughs> and I think I'm real, real glad they brought Yates in. Yeah. Uh, and I also think to your point about the subtext, I mean, look, uh, again, Shannon's opinions aside, Goblet of Fire, not one of my favorite Harry Potter movies. Agreed. I think there are some great moments, and I think the whole uh, Voldemort coming back in the graveyard is really, really well done. And I think that over the years, I've come to enjoy Goblet of Fire more than I did in the theaters, but it is still for sure my least favorite of the eight movies. Um, my boy! But but I but what I didn't know, like you can really kind of tell a few things. Like one of the issues I have with Goblet of Fire is a massive amount of overacting on absolutely everybody's part. And when you watch Mike Newell, especially in the behind the scenes footage, you're like, oh, that's why. Let me get on the floor with another young actor and Russell. This all makes this all makes a lot more sense now. And also the fact that Emma Watson, you know, was talking about even just like her uncomfortability with the winter ball and that scene where Hermione has to come downstairs and Mike Newell directing and then her kind of not wanting to come back after that and having to be convinced to come back for the fifth movie. Um, I don't, I'm not putting all that at Mike Newell's feet. And again, I will agree with Shannon that parts of Goblet of Fire are very lovely, but you can sort of see as you're watching it, as you're looking at the subtext, Quaron, like everybody looked like they were having a blast and Yates clearly kind of came in and were like, yeah, you're going to take this to the finish line. Like you've got a good thing going and like five, six, seven and seven part two, um, all feel of a piece together for yes. sure. Yeah. But you Definitely. look at that Newell stuff and you're like, yeah, I think everybody behind the scenes kind of, uh, felt the same way. Yeah. I wonder well, what I mean, and there's, and there's footage of him barking at people and that's, yeah. that's a, that's a director from another time. Yeah. <laughs> like you're not, you can't do that anymore, especially when you're working with a large cast of young people. Like yeah. you can't, you can't do that. But who were, all, who were all clearly in the midst of puberty and wanting yeah. to. Uh, when Daniel Radcliffe <laughs> says how hard it was that they were all like going oh through God. like puberty and crushes and everything, and then they brought in the Bobatons and the Durmstrang kids who were all purposely cast to be as attractive as possible. He was like, yeah. <laughs> This I was like I can't imagine. All I could think of is I want to know the stuff that they couldn't say in the special. Like I want to know what really went <laughs> yeah. down on that set with all those kids because that Hogwarts got freaky. Oh Hogwarts yeah, Hogwarts got freaky. I mean, what's his face refers to it and says like we were all just like normally you know do things that normal kids do when they're all around each other. So what are the breakups? Who dated who? Who got the drama? Who was sending those yeah. texts? I want to know all that stuff. Who was sending was Daniel Ned. Radcliffe 10 kisses texts? I think it was Ned. And he was like, look, if we were doing the same thing that any other kid would do, we were just doing it in uh, Defense Against the Dark Arts. And I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> 
I thought it was interesting that they didn't touch on at all the the passing of Richard Harris and Michael Gambon coming in. Like I was like, wow, oh, I wonder right. why why they good didn't point. address that at all. I was gonna say well, they did touch on his passing, but they didn't touch on Gambon sliding in. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Mike, sorry. No, it's really I I, I didn't think about that. Uh, mm. It is interesting that they didn't dive into that. Uh, it's it's funny. I mean, and this is just kind of speaks to what a good job they did is until you mentioned that. I didn't even think about the fact that they didn't mention, you know, like mm. it was like it it really is a pretty as far as recastings go uh, tragic because I think Richard Harris did such a lovely job. Oh, but so I thought great. what Michael Gambon brought in, aside from the fourth movie, uh, was really, really lovely. <laughs> yeah, it's, there, and there was no Brendan no, Gleeson. I was kind of surprised not to see Brendan Gleeson uh, be a part of this. Julie Walters wasn't a part of this yeah. as well, and so there were there were people that were missing that I would have gl- I would have been very glad to see a few more minutes from or a few an extra twenty minutes added to this uh, special to get some more time with them to find out you know their experiences uh, on it. I, I mean, um, David Tennant also not appearing. David Tennant having a bit of a small part there in. Uh, goblet of fire so i mean it was kind of surprising not to have him not surprising not to have him be a part of this uh overall as well but i tell you this um they broke me with the uh, helen mccrory conversation uh you know this is an actress that i've come to know through peaky blinders and some other things uh, uh throughout the last few years and so her passing uh, recently um was kind of shocking and then to see how tom felton spoke about her and, uh, and Jason Isaacs, right? Yes, absolutely. But Tom, you could see that he that he was ready to to break, to cry and break. Jason, you could tell he was kind of holding on to it. But it was so interesting to hear them speak, and then the shots that they used in the tribute to her got me. They just got me yeah. because she is an incredible actress. And then talking about Alan Rickman and and their feelings about him and their remembrances of him and the power that he has, especially when you know when uh, the Daniel Radcliffe is talking about having worked with him and the interactions that he had with him was really really interesting to see and 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 kind of got to me, got me misty eyed, man. Great stuff overall, and them doing that in memoriam and then all those. I thought it was gonna be like you know five or six names, but then all these names popped up. So how many people involved in the production? Half passed away in the last twenty years. Uh, pretty sad to see. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think Shaney made it to the end of the movie. I don't think she's seen the whole series. Oh, okay. But like when the when the Phelps brothers came up, who you know played Fred and George, right? And, oh. Talk about long bottoming. Those two got hot. <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> well, they long bottomed. Like it's a I, word. <sighs> <laughs> I, I won't disagree with like they they I mean they were they were good looking kids but yes they clearly hit the weights. I would say love gooding. Um, I would say love gooding as well, but that's me. Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> long, long bottoming is actually the term that people use for Neville. Yes, cuz he But like you say it other people like when when the when the how to train your dragon 2 came out you're like, "Look, Hiccup just got long bottomed." Like it's a <laughs> word. All right. Fair. But watching the two, like seeing like just the light relationship and how, mm. what a fun relationship they had with the rest of the cast. How they did kind of uh, younger brother, Rupert Grin a little bit. And then remembering the last book or the last movie. And I oh, was yeah. like, oh shit, that's right. Like, and I don't have the heart to tell Shaney. I'm like, yeah, don't, don't, don't get too attached to one of them. And, th- and um, that I'm- being one of JK's biggest regrets. She said, you know, I shouldn't have killed him off. She's, and, no. and same thing with, uh, 
with Diggory, I think she's had regrets about Diggory as well, because that character could have really paid dividends. Yeah, they didn't get Pattinson to come on and talk about it, this supposedly incredible film from Shannon McClung's point of view. Didn't get Okay, or, okay, or, let's pump the brakes. <laughs> or, 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 or Clemens Poesy to come on and see what it was like to take on the Bobatons, you know, and uh, that would have been great to see her point of view on it because she she endures throughout the movies into the last couple yeah. of movies so there should have been some conversations uh, with both of them as well but um was there anything uh, as we're wrapping up this review was there any reveal that surprised you guys at all that you hadn't seen in the behind the scenes or hadn't read about in interviews with them was there anything that uh, kind of shocked you to hear about or see it didn't, it didn't shock me, but I like we and we already kind of touched on this, but mm. I do think it was really nice how they, you know, I think I think Rupert Grint says it uh, that that they were kind of astronauts, like they lived through something yeah. that no one else, like playing three of the most beloved characters in modern literature from a ten year old through adulthood and living through that fame and that work schedule and the attention and then surviving. I mean, you know, look, all you got to do is look at the freaking Disney channel and see what happens to child actors. Like half of them right. are disasters and neither, none of the three of them are dancing on a beach somewhere like Lindsay Lohan. Like they really did kind of make it through for the most part. Oh, now we're going to get um, sued. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? But like, you just like, I think what I took away from it was just like everybody, everybody who grew up on this set kind of came through um, like relatively unscathed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think Tom Felton does a great job of highlighting uh, uh, Emma Watson's unique experience as kind of the only main girl in the cast until, of course, Ginny Weasley came. Ginny Ginny Weasley came on, but she was the main girl and dealing with her growing up. And you know, they didn't touch on this, but there were a lot of really uncomfortable stuff that was going on uh, in comments on social media, in memes, you know, all that stuff about alluding to her attractiveness, even though she's an underage girl. Like there was stuff like that that was rolling through, and what she had to deal with on a large scale um, as she's growing up. You know, uh, when they come to that point where she's talking about, I wanted to leave. And Rupert was like, yeah, I kind of had those same thoughts too, the overwhelming nature of it all. But Tom giving her so much credit for her having the strength, the unique strength to come through this and come out the other side. And I think her being an intelligent young actress from the beginning, which uh, 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 Chris Columbus talks about, she was the most intelligent person in the room, no matter what room she was in, you could tell. And her writing that 12 pages for Quaron for a character story, she's a prepared, intelligent young woman. And now we see her as this damn good actress and also damn good advocate for the things mm-hmm. that she believes in. And so it paid dividends, although it might've been, it must've been very, very difficult to go through that time. It paid dividends in the end by, ter- you know, giving her that spine, giving her some steel to go after what she wants to go after. And I mean, it really is kind of cute when you think about like each of their careers, uh, yeah. you know, she went on to become this advocate to really like fight for women's rights and fight for feminism. <laughs> and she's doing a lot of really good stuff. And Daniel Radcliffe seems like he's having a perfectly great career. He's doing a lot yeah. of really cool things. And Rupert Grant kind of does a couple things and it's kind of doing his own thing and doesn't really seem too concerned about it. Like there's He's pretty Ron. much Ron, Harry and Hermione yeah. their way through life. <laughs> and that's great. That's for sure. That's for I sure. mean, you bring it up the 12 page assignment, like R- Rupert Grint saying like, well, I didn't do it. He's like, but that's something Ron would do. He would do the assignment and seeing Karan be like, okay, touche. Okay, Ron. <laughs> but also Rob, Robbie Coltrane like Robbie Coltrane uh, you know I, I yeah. used to love watching him on screen I thought he was just mm. such a terrific performer but the the, the revelation is like you know I spent more time with these kids than with my own kids and you mm. think about the fact that they did so 
they did so much in a really sort of uh, not not compromise, but a a, a a truncated amount of time, a like concentrated amount of time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and thinking like, yeah, I mean, it wasn't just the kids on this on this schedule. It was also yeah. the adults who do have families, do have children of their own. And yeah, I mean, it was really, it was just yeah. As I, I love Robbie Coltrane, I hated to see like yeah. that he's just that he's gotten old, like everybody yeah. does. Yeah. But I mean, he's a man of size, and to see that he's still around, I think that's a good thing. We all know actors of size who have passed away too early, uh, sadly. But the fact that Robbie's still kicking it, I, I, that's a that's a positive. Even though he's in what seems to be like a, a decreased physical condition, it's still nice to see him talk. And he has that kind of grandfatherly voice that you're just like, oh my god, it's heartbreaking, you know. Like, Everything like that. And, you know, Mike, I take your point, you know, a little bit of produced authenticity, but nonetheless, still effective for sure. <laughs> I don't know if they're acting when they're seeing each other for the first time and giving each other big hugs and stuff like that. I would hope to think that they weren't, but they probably were. I mean, but it like, was still nice to yeah. see it. It was still nice to see it. Yeah. I don't say it in a bad way. No, like, no, I know. Everything is produced. Like, it is what it is. But, uh, but, um, but yeah, I, uh, I think they did a very good job of producing it. Yeah, I agree. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. And, <laughs> and giving think, credit to everybody. Yeah. And I think the last thing that I'll say about it is just touching on the JK Rowling of it all is like, I think that it kind of just gave me hope for the future of Harry Potter. Yeah. Uh, and by that, I mean, look, I like, and again, some people who are listening to us uh, think there's nothing wrong with JK Rowling. Some people are not going to support anything Harry Potter because they don't want to support JK Rowling. And I, everyone is free to live their fandoms however they want to live their fandoms. Absolutely. But for me, um, it made me realize that Harry Potter as a world and Harry Potter as uh, as something that has meant so much to so many people is bigger than J.K. Rowling in the same mm -hmm. way that Star Wars is bigger than George Lucas at this point. Like, like she might have created this world, but the fans and the directors and the set designers and the actors and everybody who have weighed in on this world have made it so much more than what it was. Uh, and I think that the world is going to continue long after J.K. Rowling does. Mm -hmm. And I look forward to being able to support the parts of this universe that are inclusive, that are the Hogwarts and the Wizarding World that I believe in. Um, and hopefully that Wizarding World continuing on long before somebody with outdated ideas does and, uh, and becomes even more inclusive. So it just, the feelings that this special gave me made me feel like Harry Potter will live on and the wizarding world will thrive uh, and be stronger, um, despite some things that I find pretty much uh, not to my liking. Yeah, yeah, agreed. It, yeah, it was nice to go back and remember and seeing all those lines and seeing, you know, uh, and Robbie Coltrane saying how it kind of inspired kids to read again. You know, there are many, sure. give it many gifts from this franchise it from these sets of books and these movies that i think will pay dividends for generations to come long after we're gone not just joe relling long after we're gone as well which is a good thing you know, because that that no matter what she's saying now those books are all about you know accepting the uh, people who have different opinions different points of views different experiences different upbringings to be seen as equals and that's a positive in the end so uh, all right. Well, there's our uh, review here of uh, the Return to Hogwarts special on HBO Max. We hope you enjoyed our show overall. Thank you very much. Uh, Shannon, what do we have to tell? 
Yeah, I'd like to follow us on social media. On Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. On Instagram, at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MK2. And if you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at the Roca Says. Mikey? Um, look, if you are a Gryffindor, a Hufflepuff, a Ravenclaw, or a Slytherin, we are glad that you are here and listening to us talk about all of this geeky stuff. Uh, and if you would like us to continue doing that, here is what you can do. You can smash that like button below. You can subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. You can leave some comments below and let us know what you thought about this stuff. Did you watch the Harry Potter special? What did you think of it? What do you think of uh, the late, great Betty White? What do you think of the DC Extended Universe? Let us know below. If you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere podcasts are available go ahead and leave us some stars and some comments because it helps us go up in the rankings and as always the best thing that you can do is retweet this video repost it to your socials and tell all your friends to check out your good buddies the geek buddies there you go and checking us out and making us possible there is carbon health thank you so much for sponsoring our show and powering the outlaw nation want to remind you all to please keep this in mind if you're looking for covid testing they have covid testing at their local clinics uh and they get get you travel clearance testing as well you can go to carbonhealth.com to see where these 90 clinics are in 14 states and if there's any virtual care available in your area in 24 states for you to get access to good health they believe everyone deserves it and they have urgent care primary care and virtual care for everybody uh there uh, for you to have so there you go all right well thank you so much for joining us y'all take care of yourselves be well and we'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode here from the geek buddies Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.